Good morning. Hi. We're here with a very special guest. I'm Tama Lundquist, uh, co-president of Houston Pet Set, with Tina Lundquist-Faust, co-president of Houston Pet Set, and Matt from Houston Dog Ranch. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Great. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. How are things at the dog ranch? Busy, busy. And really? wet right now. Lots and lots of rain, but yes, it's it's busy. We're feeling the spring back from boarding. People have been closed up for a long time, and dogs are getting out now, and it's it's wonderful to see. Oh, so good. Good for you and good for the dogs, because every time I've been there, the dogs are so happy. <laughs> it's like su- It's like summer camp. Yes, well, it is. It's very much like summer camp. We we have specific activities that we get them involved and engaged so that they're not just, uh, you know, kind of hanging out in beautiful territory and beautiful scenery, but they're actually engaged on a behavioral level that gives them some satisfaction, mm-hmm. just like we need after having been closed up for a long time. Yeah. These dogs are social creatures, and they've suffered by not getting out and following their normal behavior patterns. So, yeah, we're seeing a little bit of... Uh, uh, overcorrection, you know, and they come and they're really hyper excited because mm-hmm. they've got a lot of steam to blow off. So, you know, we help facilitate that in healthy and productive ways. I didn't think yeah. about that. The dogs being confined too. We we thought it was so mm-hmm. good for them because we were around them more. But you're right. They probably haven't been out the way they should. I bet there were social distancing at the dog parks. Or, you know. Yes, it's it's been a two-edged sword. You know, mm-hmm. in some ways it's great because dogs that are kind of reactive to other dogs on leashes, you have an excuse to kind of keep your distance and be on the other side of the street. Or dogs that aren't great with introducing to new people, you know, you have an excuse because you're social distancing. So it took the pressure off of behavior work in a lot of ways. But at the same time, while I was so excited that people are kind of almost forced to be at home with their dogs for a while, I knew what was eventually going to come and that there's going to be a lot of separation anxiety issues as people start now going back to work. You know, dogs have been adopted. They've come into the home. They've been with them for a year, year and a half. And now people are going to be going back to work and the dogs aren't going to understand that. And so there's going to be our our shift in, in behavior now is going to be towards helping dogs with separation anxieties. Makes perfect sense. Let's back up, Matt, because I want people to know what you do, who you are, and how how we became involved with each other. And so yeah. we met you through one of our partners, um, Houston Pets. That's you know help, has seventy plus organizations that we partner with. And one of them came to us one day and said, "We have somebody that we think you should meet who wants to get involved." and sort of that rescue side, but we're not sure what that looks like. But we just, we met. You came to a meeting and we met and instant connection because of our love of dogs. Um, Once we started talking about philosophies and how you view dogs and behavior, um, we aligned in so many ways. And, you know, what we were going to, you have the Houston Dog Ranch. Mm -hmm. And and do you want to talk a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah. Um, And actually, going back to our meeting, I tell you, I'm I'm always on the lookout for like-minded organizations and people that I can really partner with because I know how much more we can do together. Mm -hmm. I know that what I do, I feel like we've really dialed in on it, but it's one narrow sliver of the overall work that needs to be done. So partnering with other people that have strengths in other areas, it's the the marriage in heaven that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So some people say that, Matt, you make quick decisions, but it's because I know what I'm looking for. And then when I see it, I jump on it. And that's why when I came to your meeting that first time and I I met the, the caliber of people 
and the quality, the commitment that was there, I said, oh, I'm home. I found my group, right? I found my pack. Mm -hmm. And that's why I I immediately, well, here's what I do. How can we help? How can we fit this together? And I think that's what was so wonderful is that between our two organizations, there's there's no ego. There's there's just putting dogs first. What can we do to propel the message forward? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's why I felt instant connection with PetSet and everything that's going on there. Um, as for myself, I started out, um, you know, 15 something years ago, having left the corporate world and said, uh, you know, I've done 35 startups for other companies. I'd like to do a startup for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And I want to do something that I'm really going to enjoy. So with a whole big bag of naivety, I jumped into dog training. I said, I want to be the best dog trainer in the world. And I made a horrible mistake right out of the chute. I went and learned dog training from a shock collar guy. Mm. And I just did not know any better. Instantly felt uncomfortable with it. Instantly knew this is something in, that's inherently wrong. This is not cognitive science by any stretch. Uh, really, and then the pendulum swung all the way over the other way. And I bought my treat bag and my clicker and I went to work in that arena. And... Um, had a lot more success, felt a lot more comfortable about what I was doing, really rounded out my understanding of training and science behavior. But I kept running into problems because as a new trainer coming up, I didn't have a lot of money to put into marketing. So I took the dogs that had been to two or three other trainers already, Mm -hmm. right? Or they'd been in really rough situations and they weren't responding to standard training practices, protocols. They couldn't think about taking a treat because the environment had already put them so far over their threshold that treats were not on the the plan right Right. then. They were thinking of survival or defending themselves or overcoming trauma that they had endured. So a piece of cheese isn't going to help you through that. Mm -hmm. So I was driven to really find a method um, that could reach these dogs, and there just wasn't anything out there. So that's when I really started diving deeper into uh, the cognitive science, the you know even child psychology, parent-child relationships, things that you could do to provide connection and reward way beyond just the appetite of drive. Mm-hmm. And that's how we developed what we're doing now is we really found that the best people to teach dogs how to be social weren't people. It was other dogs. Right. And so that's where we started developing our social uh, family language method. Mm-hmm. And it's really how to take and use a group of very stable, very social dogs that we've carefully crafted which individuals are in that group. And then we facilitate their daily life in a way where they actually form into a family. It's not just a group of competing individuals because... What we found was the social instincts that are drawn out of a new dog that steps into a street gang environment, it's going to be very different. It's about putting on a big show. It's about one-upsmanship. It's about resource guarding and so forth, dominance. Mm -hmm. But in a family, the instincts that move you forward are sharing and tolerance, right, Mm -hmm. and teaching and understanding, right? And so I learned that dogs, a dog is not aggressive or not aggressive. He's aggressive in certain circumstances and under certain situations. In others, he shows great impulse control, great tolerance. So it's about the environment. Mm-hmm. So wow. we created a group of dogs that could act as social models mm-hmm. for the new dogs coming in. 
and learned how to use that in a training method. For instance, a dog that's fence reactive, they live in the heights, they have a see-through fence, everyone is out walking on the streets, and they're very reactive, causing problems. We can surround that dog with our dogs that for that same stimulus, they're very calm, they're mm -hmm. relaxed. And mm -hmm. so the dog sees that this is how it can be. And then through what's called allelomimesis, this amazing social principle, they adopt and they adapt or mirror those behaviors. Then we can step in with our standard positive reinforcement and go click it and go, mm -hmm. good job. That's what we want you to do. Okay. So it's really teaching dogs to make better choices mm -hmm. rather than just conform to a sit or mm -hmm. a stay. Right. And you just can't do that with a person and a clicker. Mm -hmm. It really takes a group of other dogs yeah. to demonstrate that and provide that uh, instinctual environment that draws them in. Something it, we pulled them from right. by yes. domesticating them. That's their natural place to be. And as mm -hmm. humans, we pulled them from that by domesticating them. So we really owe it to them to give them that peace yes. back. It's more than that. Yeah. In other parts of the world, Dogs live far closer to their instincts. Even in certain parts of America, I, you know, my grandparents, they lived way up in the mountains. And in the mountains, you would take one puppy from your litter and share it with the guy that lives on the other side of the mountain. And he would give you a puppy because you want your puppy to learn from his older dogs. Mm -hmm. And then we didn't have fences. So that's how they learned not to fight is that it was just one big pack. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of social understanding. But in today's society, we rob our puppies from that by taking them at six weeks, oh, seven yeah. weeks, eight weeks of age. So they miss all of that, that knowledge that they would gain from their litter mates and from their mothers. Or even we don't let dogs live in a larger group. So there's not a mama and her sister that can do allo parenting. You know, while the mom is out doing something, the sister is doing mm -hmm. some parenting. So our puppies are robbed of all of that. Yeah. And then we are kind of, we're a few generations removed from living that way, so yeah. we don't have the the knowledge to make up for that. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have dogs that they can't manage their fears because they didn't learn fear management. Yeah. They can't manage their impulses because they didn't have other puppies around as they were growing up and forming that. And then on top of that, you add to it traumas from yeah. mean people or people that don't understand or can't manage sure. their own frustrations. Mm -hmm. And so you have a dog that didn't develop the way it should induce some kind of trauma and now has conditioned itself for a coping mechanism to deal with all of that. And you have a dog that hates men, so right. to speak. And it, it really takes another group of dogs to help unravel all of that. You give them so much more credit. You, you, um, they're so much smarter than how we have kind of learned to train them. I think through the years, it was kind of a action reward action, um, um, yes. consequence type yeah. um, system for so long. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. You know, I, I think of my, my Benjamin who lived on the streets for seven years and Finnegan are you, and you know them, yep. you've, you've come in and helped yep. me with them because there were things that mm -hmm. I didn't know how to do. But I think Finnegan taught Benjamin more than all of us put together. <laughs> Which can be a blessing and a curse. Yeah. If you have what he's teaching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And he taught him because Finnegan's a, a good dog. He wants to please. Yeah. And so now Benjamin does what Finnegan does. And it's mm -hmm. really, it's it's just, it's so cute to see. But to your point, yeah, you have, you have the dogs that train the other dogs in this 
taking puppies from their mothers at six weeks or seven weeks or eight weeks, and they never learn how to be a dog. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that is a good point because it's not enough to just take your dog to a daycare or to the dog park. It's not about just getting around other dogs Mm -hmm. because really often what you're just doing is subjecting them to other ill-behaved mm-hmm. dogs, other dogs that and can't work And ill-behaved people. Uh, well, that's drives me that's crazy. a whole other thing. Yeah. Yes, you're exactly right. Um, and so it, it really does take not just a group of individual dogs. It takes dogs that have been formed into a family, that live as a family. They sleep together. They eat together. That way, when you bring in that brand new dog and you have them eating amongst them, it's it's just the same as if you bring someone to your house and one kid eats upstairs and one kid eats in the back patio and one kid doesn't eat at all as to having dinner at the table where you discuss what happened today and you can't throw food across the table. And there's all kinds of social norms that you just cannot capture any other way than by facilitating it as a social model and then presenting it to the dog for observational learning. So yeah, I think we give dogs a lot of credit, but it, 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 it stymies me sometimes how dog professionals, trainers that are really good at what they do, they learned it from a book and it looks great on paper and it follows logically very, very well, but it's missing a whole component. It's a one-on-one thing. And the cognitive science that you would use to teach a child their math tables is very different than the cognitive science you would use to teach an adult violent offender how not to offend again, sure. right? Yeah. And, and trying to apply, you know, award-winning grade school curriculum to that environment, it simply won't work. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't negate it. it. It's still valuable and absolutely necessary. And we use... All of those tools in what we do, we use counter-conditioning, desensitization, all of the stuff that you see in the positive side of science, we use. We just use that in the context of two very important things. And one is, you know, the allelomimesis from the dogs actually creating the environments. And then the other piece is the reward. And the reward is very different in our arena as well. We don't use treats. Uh, And we do reward. We don't shock them for getting it wrong or use a prong collar for getting it wrong. It's not about getting it wrong. If if they get it wrong, we've done our job wrong. Mm -hmm. They should either get it right and get praised or just before they get it wrong, we show them what they should have done so that every correction is actually correction. And it ends in a praise of the right behavior. That's what builds confidence. That's what builds bonds. Mm-hmm. And all the other dogs are watching that happen and learning from it as well. Right. And that, that's about neural pathways. You're just building yes. new neural pathways. And those are yes. always strongest, not with food, not with water, but with that emotional. Any neural pathway you build that has an emotional component to it is a much stronger neural pathway. And that's brilliant. That. You're yeah. exactly right. That, yeah. And that's... We need this for our children, don't we? Oh, 100%. We need to step up as parents in a lot of ways. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's not much different. What you say is identical. How you say it is the difference. Yeah, Yeah, you can articulate and you can use past, present, and future with the Mm -hmm. kids. With the dogs, you have to act it out. You have to pantomime it. You have to create a learning experience repetitiously Mm -hmm. that always ends in the same conclusion. Then they bypass all that and go straight for that conclusion. Mm-hmm. They're masters at knowing what comes next and leaping straight to mm-hmm. it. We just have to present those options. And we can try to do it 
with a piece of cheese and a hot dog. And but or we can just say, watch these 14 dogs that do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when they find friends amongst that group, then we can take those dogs with them into their home environment and say, OK, it's not just at the dog ranch where you're tolerant at a fence. It's at your fence. Mm-hmm. Now we have to do some counter conditioning with that fence. And the easy way to bring this uh, impulse control to this new environment is by bringing the social environment mm-hmm. from here to here. Social environment always trumps physical environment. Mm-hmm. So that's how you can, through graduated exposure yeah. and transference, move from one to the next. Well, it feels like in a way you're replicating maybe a wolf pack, you know, because don't, that's how it is in a wolf pack. And and we've heard that dogs have 99% of the same DNA as a wolf. So you have to think they about do. how, you know, how unsocialized they are really, you mm-hmm. know, they're only 1% socialized. A dog mm-hmm. is more closely related to a wolf than a coyote is. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I'm careful when I talk about the wolf pack mm-hmm. because there's so many uh, people in a certain camp that they're not convinced that the instincts are the same and so forth. And I can tell you from working with wolf dogs and wolves themselves, mm-hmm. they are a different species. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the root behaviors are still there, but they're largely muted or changed in slight ways. So a dog is different than a wolf. But the way that humans used to train dogs for millennia, for mm-hmm. eons, is by having two or three older dogs that go out hunting with you and the new puppy that you're bringing along. And that's really what I'm mimicking is the way that we've done it since we emerged from the cave, Mm -hmm. right? Is that we have the older group dogs teaching the younger ones how to do it through observational learning and trial and error themselves. But they live together in such a way that it's not you come out, perform for an hour, get your piece of cheese, now go back to your crate and see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing today. And so I'm very much mimicking what I saw the older generations doing and what I know has been done for eons back is that that's how the new Border Collie learns how to herd is by watching his mom, his dad, her sister and doing it well. And more important, not just watching what they do, but how they interact with the shepherd, what calls I listen to which shepherd I listen to and which shepherd I don't. It's that parent-child bond between whether who it, whether it's a guard and a guard dog or a shepherd and, you know, whatever it is, there's an important role that you need to fulfill in that dog's life so that you have the influence you need. Mm-hmm. You don't have to shortcut it by shocking them when they get it wrong or begging with a piece of cheese. Just the fact that you've asked for it in a way that makes sense and they've rehearsed and seen the other dogs do is enough mm-hmm. for them. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, when you came to my house and helped me with Finnegan and Benjamin because they were fighting, they were resource guarding, and it only started when Benjamin came in off the streets and, you know, he was he thought all the food in the house belonged to him. Yeah. Now I don't even have to say anything. I go like this, and he goes to, I don't even have to say anything. And he looks at me, and he goes to his bed, and he knows that he needs to let Finnegan finish eating in peace. So your method works, and it it creates harmony. And I don't yes. feel like I have to demonize my dog or bad boy. He just, he goes you don't to have bed. to have a male voice. No, you no, don't have to be no, harsh or no. firm. You don't have to beg. You don't direction. have to punish, yeah. but you do have to, the other 23 hours of the day, conduct yourself and interact with him in a way that earns you that reward. Yeah. That's the hard part. Mm-hmm. 
is that you can't have frustrating moments. Oh, I'm sorry. Now will you do that thing? No. You, and so when I walk into a home and I see that kind of interaction, it tells me so much about what's going on, how you get along with your husband. It tells me the tension that might be in the home or not. The fact that all it takes is a finger wave that you've had this conversation many times which means you're consistent and you're instructive. So just seeing that little moment of interaction tells me a whole lot about what's going on in the home. Because my biggest job, the easy job is the dog. That's the fun, the easy part. (laughs) Yes, but making the changes to the social environment Mm -hmm. that's necessary for that dog to maintain that behavior, that's the kicker. And it's usually toning down dad. It's equipping mom to manage things in a way, remove some guilt, bring in some structure, um, but communicate. That's really what it's down to. It's it's down to communicating in a way that makes sense to them. A perfect example of that, and here's where I think a lot of newbie trainers make mistakes. I certainly did. When you're trying to use treats to do behavioral work, for instance, A dog sees another dog across the street who's barking behind a fence, and that's a reactivity trigger for that dog. But let's say he sits and he's watching that dog, and we give him a piece of cheese because he's not barking, he's not lunging. But really what he's doing is thinking, one wrong step and I'm over that fence and I've got to eat you. (laughs) So you've just rewarded a murderous thought, Right. right? So we can't see it from our perspective. He sat. I gave him cheese. I checked off the box on my trainer's checklist. But the truth is you're rewarding him for thinking bad thoughts. So we teach people to watch the the behavior. You can reward for sitting or you can discourage him for sitting. And because he's sitting but thinking bad thoughts, and then when he snaps out of it and looks up at you with that face, now we can click and reward. Mm -hmm. That's the moment Mm -hmm. when he made a good choice, Mm -hmm. not just compliance with the body. You do have to take it to another level. Not everybody likes to do that. They come home, they're tired. They say, man, I don't want to have to pay attention to that. Then you won't get the results you want. But if you do, it gets easy. It It, gets to the point where you just go, have you lost your mind? And there it is. How are we going to get your training methods, which are the best I've ever seen? Out to the world. Likewise. Out to the world. How, Matt? Because I'm sitting here like, (laughs) come to my house. You know, but... Everybody's going to want to know about this. I would imagine if you love your animals. I think and it's because it's are new. You it's because, a book? Uh, well, so here's what I have to do. And I have this amazing, amazing team, a co CEO that I've just brought in. And their plan for me is much smarter than my plan for me. Their plan for me is, is to get me out of the day-to-day running mm-hmm. of the business yes. and and not helping 20 dogs at a time, but helping 20 trainers at a time. Because yes. with helping 20 trainers, we can help 2,000 dogs. Yeah. And so, yes, we, we are on an absolute mission to get this message out that it doesn't have to be ineffective treats or harsh, immoral, unethical methods, no dominance theories, that there's something else that's far more better. It's far more effective. It lets you be who you are. Let your dog be who, who he is. Um, and, and I think we have the ingredients to revolutionize the dog training world. Yeah. It's mapping out the path to get yeah. there. And, and so you're going to train other trainers, which is... Yes. Perfect. And it, would there ever be a way to put this in a book or do you think that you need the trainers 
to go into the homes because I bet that you can, it's not a formula really that you can lay onto something. It's probably an interactive. You've got to have data to know how to yes. make those changes in the home. That yes. And sense. I mean, it's, it's a philosophy yeah. and then it's a method mm-hmm. and then it's a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all of those things. And yes, I, I think, I mean, we envision books, okay. we envision video series. Yeah. We envision, uh, hands-on instructional seminars where dogs or trainers come and they can upgrade their current certifications and add social training to what it is they're already doing. I'd also very much like to provide a place for Houston trainers to be able to do that because I can tell you a barrier to entry is having 22 dogs. I have a seasoned team of dog professionals, but I have a seasoned team of professional dogs, right? (laughs) And it's taken years to build this group up to refine this, to keep them trained. And it's a delicate balance because they can fall into competing individuals very easily. Mm -hmm. And so dogs that aren't born together, you have to work. And it's very much like doing, building a culture in your business and doing Mm -hmm. team builders. You have to facilitate that family language to keep them bonded. And and I know how difficult that has been. And it's been a learning curve because there's no one else doing anything Mm -hmm. like that. So we had to pioneer this ourselves. And I'd like to make a a situation where Houston trainers can get their customers, can help their dogs with the methods that they use, come and partner with us. We can provide that social element, provide a place and a group of dogs where they can do something that they may not be able to do before. And I think that's the first really reach out is here in the Houston area. And then beyond that, yeah, I think um, this is something that's sorely needed. Well, especially in Houston where we have so many rescue animals and you talk about trauma, you talk about dogs that need help, you know, and um, having been in animal welfare for 20 years, I learned more from you in the time, two times that you came to my house Holy than I've cow. ever learned from anybody. And okay, you know, I'm going I'm to need you guys to write endorsements for abs- me because this 100%, is fantastic. One hundred percent, because I now have dogs and I can put their plates right next to each other to rescue dogs, and they eat amicably. They're fine. And I had two resource guarders and in two sessions. So, but we need you in the rescue community because too many times we don't set up rescue dogs for success. We set them up for failure over and over again. They become a behavior case. They go back to the shelters over and over and over again. And they live a life of misery. And we're not doing right by them by not, number one, a proper behavior assessment. When you have a dog in a shelter yeah. and it's come off of the street and it's taken a ride in a truck and it gets dumped and you put it's it in a small crate and you put it in a small kennel and then you take it outside and you, you do a behavior assessment. Yeah. How yep. long does it take a dog like that to just come down? Yeah. Matt? I, I'm with you a hundred percent on that. I, I tend to be pretty hard on parents. Good. I, I, I tend to, to be pretty hard on parents and I tend to be very hard on trainers people in the rescue arena I tend to um, give a pass at least the first couple of times 100%. because they're one yeah. they're great people with huge hearts trying to do the right thing largely on a volunteer basis yep. without yep. the knowledge that they need so I, I really I, I don't fault them and yet it's the problem I wasn't faulting them either. I'm saying as a a community, we need to set dogs up for success. A perfect example that is just a pet peeve of mine that 
digs into me every time I see it is when you take a dog from the street that has had to scrounge for its food, maybe had to predate and eat a squirrel, maybe had, you know, had to fight with other dogs to keep whatever scraps it had. They're dogs eat each eating, other. Dogs yes. are eating dogs. I, was, I wasn't going to go that far, but yes. Yeah. But you take that dog and you put it in a room and you give it all the food that it wants. And then you take a broomstick with a rubber hand on it and you stick it down there. Of course, it's going to bite that stick. Of course. It's, it's an idiotic way to approach an assessment. It tells you absolutely nothing behaviorally whatsoever. This is a classic case of uh, an intelligent logic person who maps out some, some steps but then it, it doesn't translate into real life at all because that dog, dogs can tell the difference between an angry person and a happy person by their smell, their pheromones. They can find cancer under the skin and they can't tell the difference between a broomstick and your hand. Yeah. Well, that's, that's foolish. And anytime you wave a stick, even a wonderfully socialized dog says, hey, what's going on there? So you come at a dog with a stick and a hunk of rubber and it doesn't understand. It growls. It says, I've told you to get that thing away. And then it bites it. Oops. He's aggressive with people. It must be euthanized. And that is a, that is a huge leap to a wrong conclusion based on completely faulty process for assessments. So I think that's the first place to start is not giving a dog off the street a horrible label that it then has to carry through the rest of its rescue process where people are now afraid to set down a bowl of food. Now, we cannot ignore the risk that at first he might bite you for that food. You have to be careful. You have to be survival for him. That's right. So we have to make some changes in how he perceives Mm -hmm. that scenario. And the parent-child is one of the best ways to do that. Because if you can get a dog to vote you into office and he believes that you're his alloparent, it changes how he perceives you. You're the giver of things, Mm -hmm. not someone I protect from. Mm -hmm. So if you have that kind of biting going on, that automatically tells me you have a wrong relationship. That's the first thing we need to work on. Because I can guard my resources to this person, but I would never guard my resources mm-hmm. to this person. And it determines on how he thinks of the situation. Sure. So I tell people, here's how to behave with your dog in a way that will bring trust <laughs> and, and uh, uh, influence mm-hmm. in a w- without having to resort to bribes, harsh things, a loud voice, or just letting it happen and perpetuating that problem. Right. right. Yeah, yeah I- I'm with you. The biggest thing that my uh, co-CEO, Frank Silva, what he is doing is helping me to take our behavioral work that we do in training and apply that to all the verticals that are in Mm -hmm. the training industry or the dog industry. We can apply this to grooming. We have an amazing groomer Mm -hmm. and, and she has a wonderful heart. She will trim one toenail an hour to get it done over the course of a day instead of wrestling them to the ground and forcing it. And we are melding our family language with her procedure so that we can bring the family language to grooming. We want to do the same thing in veterinary work, right? There are so many things that they can do at the car with the dog to form quick rapport to allow things to go better when they have to give the shot, right? Mm -hmm. In all these different areas. And of course, rescue is 
where my heart comes from. Yeah. So yeah. that's the biggest area where we have gotten involved the most is trying to um, work with sanctuaries to raise the experience level of the wonderful volunteers that are there yeah. so that they can start managing their own fears and help the healing to start right away. Mm -hmm. Come in and start here. Dogs more adoptable then, which helps them because they've got to move so many animals. And I hate to make it sound like they are a commodity, but when you have hundreds of thousands of strays on our streets, which Houston does, and you've got these rescue groups picking them up, they need these dogs to be ready to go into a, a good family and they, yeah. they for liability reasons too they yeah. need to they need to know they're putting a good product out there which are these wonderful wonderful creatures you're exactly right i think that is one of the hardest situations is you're constantly having to balance budget with yeah. timeline yeah. the yeah. needs of the dog and i think that's why we get them into homes when they really shouldn't we're just desperate to find mm-hmm. a wonderful willing person mm-hmm. let's make this happen yeah. let's hope this works out Rather than saying, I'm sorry, you're a great person. I'm going to have to pass you on this. But I have this other wonderful dog that might be just right for you. Because we know that this dog will go there. The husband's not convinced. It's not going to go well. That dog's going to come back. Now it's even harder to go back into home and harder to go back. That's why I was kind of forced out of of just the, the treat training. Because... We, you know, we have 30 days, we have 60 days, right, to make this happen. And this dog actually may have to come and live with me for a year to get to the point where he could be yeah. trustworthy in a house. Mm-hmm. However, when I immerse him into a pack of dogs, we can vastly accelerate mm-hmm. that whole learning process. We can achieve remarkable things. Then the key is just getting him into a home that can maintain that. And that's why when we work with rescue groups, we stay a little bit more involved, maybe even than they would like us to. <laughs> because once a dog comes down to our property, we get invested. We, yes. wanna, we want to see this all the way through. So when they send us someone to meet, do a meet and greet, we don't just put them in a room together and hope it goes well. <laughs> we bring them in and we say, here's how you meet this guy. Yeah. Or here's how you meet this girl. And, and if they start saying, oh, I don't know if I like that, then they've that's our screening. Mm-hmm. They've discounted themselves. Yeah. Or they say, I, I had a dog just like this. I understand we've been through this before. Then we can coach them and we get them involved in the training process early so that by the time the dog goes home, they're already bonded. We've kicked off that parent-child relationship. We go to the home. We may even take another one of our dogs with them to the home. Or we bring them in and we kind of fake that they're one of our staff members and they come in and do some cleaning in the room because we've already introduced that dog to 18 other staff members. So we can just make that new adopter just another one of those. All kinds of ways that we can help to bridge those gaps that normally are gotchas for rescue groups. And, and accelerate that process at the same time. Yeah, it's great, great work. Well, um, we want to talk quickly about the program. When we first met you, what we decided to do was bring some of the dogs that have been traumatized because of neglect and abuse from our, yeah. our task force. And because COVID hit, that kind of got waylaid. But what grew out of COVID with you, Matt, is um, the need to bring some dogs in that were in domestic violence situations because we knew domestic violence situations were on the rise during COVID and we were getting some calls and it was something we had thought about doing for a very long time. So we developed this program quickly with you, a couple of phone calls with your team, our team, um, social workers. And we said, 
this is something where Houston Pet Set and Houston Dog Ranch can work together yeah. to help the community. And so we developed what we call Pet Protect. And what it was is people in domestic violence situations um, that need to go into a shelter in Houston do not, 99% of the time, do not get to bring their, their pet with them, their dog with mm -hmm. them. But the dog has been through so much trauma like the people have been. Mm -hmm. So what's the best place to bring them? To a shelter, at least they can survive, but to your shelter, because then yeah. you can deal with the trauma. And it's a program that we're so proud of. And um, we've been, been doing this now um, for a year and we've had some successes with bringing mm -hmm. these dogs in because you recognize that trauma in those dogs and you know how to how to heal them and, yeah. and then maybe get them more socialized so that when they go back with the owner who yeah. you've opened your arms to as well, mm -hmm. which is so, so, so generous of you, Matt. But opening Houston Dog Ranch to the dog and to the owner um, to help them get through that that very large hiccup in their lives um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, I think just like you said, you know, we we initially were thinking of the cruelty task force, mm -hmm. right? And of course, that's as worthwhile as you could hope for. I mean, yeah. that, what better way to use your time and your space? And and I was thinking at the time, I have this huge, beautiful, sprawling place, and and we're not always full. I mean, you know, we have 10, 20 rooms that might be available, and good God, there are dogs that yeah, desperately yeah. need that. It almost seems a crime to not be utilizing mm -hmm. them in some way. So uh, I just kind of thought like the Priceline.com concept where let's make sure that our rooms are full, but with, you know, dogs that really need it. And then when, when the pivot to the domestic violence task force, I mean, it, it was um, even closer to my heart, you know, having been a, a child survivor of that myself, I saw exactly how um, a dog can be used to keep control over other people mm -hmm. in the home or a threat to that dog if you were to leave, right? Mm -hmm. And that can can really be a, a, a trap. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I was on board right away from the beginning. What I also think that we were able to focus on that made a difference in the success that we've had there is um, – we understand those dogs are traumatized too. If there's tensions in the home at that level, those dogs are suffering. They're absorbing all of that. They're witnessing abuse going on, someone that they love in distress all the time, and it takes a huge toll. And sometimes those dogs are labeled aggressive or they hate men because they hated that man, yeah. right? And so uh, it was wonderful to get those dogs in and just at first just give them a period of time to let their shoulders drop, to give them consistency, mm -hmm. stability. Everyone on the staff is trained to enact in the same way so that they don't have to figure out new relationships every time. It's pretty much the same. And just that stability, you see transformation in their body language, how they walk, how they start to greet you. I mean, even their poops get more solid. It's amazing yeah. the, the transformation that you see. And then we also recognize, you know, kind of from having been through that is that the lady that escaped the home, she may have to go to another home 
that may already have another dog or, or that dog needs to be really low key so that she can stay in that new place or, or she, you know, there's, or she's going to, from a home to an apartment. That's a whole different kind of lifestyle expectation for the dog. So we try to anticipate what's going on by talking to them so that we can start training the dog to be successful in what comes next. Mm-hmm. The loftier goal is to have that woman or their family come and participate in training because I think that can be very cathartic as they help their dog recover. It's helping them recover. When you can focus on something that's outside of yourself and benefiting them, that's really what benefit. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's many times the people that are taken advantage of are those kinds of people already, you know, strong nurturers, Mm -hmm. you know, so that can be a wonderful part of the process too. Um, And they need to know that something is safe. Yeah, right. Yep. Both of them, the dog and the person. Yes, exactly. And they can heal together by trusting each other, I think, together. You know, the dog needs the person and the person needs the dog. Which comes right back to the family language and the parent-child bond. That's the cornerstone of everything. And it is part of survival. It's part of survival. You know, we know they need food, water, shelter. They also, because they've been domesticated, I believe they need companionship. They need touch. I noticed my my pit bull that had always lived on the street did this funny little thing when I got him, and he still does it. And he'll walk through a plant or my closet and just let the clothing just or the plant yes. just barely and they slow down so, oh it's like it's like yeah. it's like watching a sloth, sloth. it is sloth speed <laughs> it, and i was yeah. like boy that's but i'm like i bet he just needs to be touched you know because i know about touch therapy a little bit there's a lot of thoughts on that it's kind of an enigma in the dog training is world it? what is this what, what's I, going on and you know some some people think it's some kind of tonic immobility like with sharks you turn them upside uh-huh. down or something or it's, it's a creeping thing and i, I think it's a tactile thing I as think well it is tactile. yeah they get under yeah. trees or even uh, coffee tables and doily you know they that but yes i i see that a lot um and, and you're right it, it's Everything in the environment plays a role in the behavior, Mm -hmm. and the behavior adapts to the environment. So if you want to change behavior in a dog, change the environment. Change the environment. The social environment always trumps the physical environment. Yeah, the social environment. And I think and the what we have spoken to with the families that have participated in that program is helping them to draw the analogy. As they come back and they see their dog transformed over the course of a few weeks, Mm -hmm. this is what we did that gave your dog the confidence, the trust, and the ability to move past the trauma. And guess what? This is just what's going to happen with your kids. So if you go and create this kind of environment for them, you'll find that kind of transformation as well. Saving families through our dogs, you know? Yeah, well, I always say you've saved the dog, but this dog's going to save save you. you. I tell people all the time that the universe gives us the dogs we need to do a good work in us. I think there's so much unspoken training that goes just or that happens just being around dogs observing them how do they interact with each other I always said that my son learned more from my dog about compassion and love unconditional love and and just things that I couldn't even really consciously put my head around Mm -hmm. that was just going to happen because of energy because of watching behaviors because Mm -hmm. of all of those unspoken things that instant that, forgiveness. Yes. A dog T-bones another dog. He rolls him over. It hurts. He cries. He looks up, play bow. He sees that it wasn't intentional. It's forgiven. Yeah. And they move on. Yeah. Yeah. No ego. That's and, right. And children yeah. learn 
by observation, right? Like 90% of what they learn is by observing and 10% is what we tell them, what we put in books. Right. And so just observing and being in that energy, I think is so valuable. Yeah. That's why we bring a dog in and they can just sit in the corner and watch the other dogs interact as we give them reasons to interact mm-hmm. and we migrate from field to field and we got to squeeze through gates and they see how do dogs congregate and not get in a fight and then how do they run crazily and not get in a fight and so they can see this and they didn't know it before right. they just knew their coping mechanism and that was it so they had very unhealthy conditioning to deal with their trauma but if you go all the way down beyond the trauma to instinctual level, mm-hmm. you can create a new route to the service that bypasses all of that. Then you link yeah. that to the environment. You must love your pack so much. When you Couldn't think do about, what I do without them. When you think about what our dogs give and they ask, do they ask for anything in return other than a good boy or a good girl? Mm-hmm. Nothing in return, you That's know? Right. And you think of the the dogs that whose lives will be saved and changed because of your pack. You know, I don't know them, but I love them. You know? I do. And I, and I have known some of them because I've been out there and watched. And some of our dogs are superstars. Some of them really show up. And that's why, and we have a very diverse group. Certain dogs are really helpful for a certain other archetype coming in or a dog coming in really fearful. Some of our dogs that have recovered from feral type fearness, they are the first to greet those dogs Mm -hmm. and say, listen, come in, let me show you how it works here. So that's why we call it the pay it forward pack. Mm -hmm. Lots of people say, I have a dog that needs adopting. He'd love to live with your pack. I'm on my way to drop him off. And the truth is we have to be very careful of what individuals come into that group. They've got to be dogs that have come from trauma, but now have the capacity to pay it forward. If they are just a bottomless pit of need, we want to provide for that, but they can't pay it forward and they can't be a part of the pack. So we have to have, and we've gotten really good at assessing dogs that come in. That's a candidate for the pack, or this is someone that we need to prepare for another home Mm -hmm. and so forth. But yeah. We need to we need to tell those stories. You know, mm-hmm. we've had so many that have come to you, and I know we need to wrap up, but we've had so many that have come to you, Rambo, I'm thinking, that I spent a whole week trying to catch. I literally couldn't yeah. get within 30 yards of that dog. He would just, like, he'd make eye contact and he'd dart and, yeah, and food bowls all over the whole, um, <laughs> our whole neighborhood yeah. feeding him. Yeah. Finally gets hit by a car, comes to you, is living his best life ever in northern Minnesota. Not a runner, not a darter, Amazing. not, yeah. Resilience. Yeah, res- Unbelievable resilience. So much more than yeah. people. And I'm mm-hmm. sitting here thinking about another guest we had on here, Joy with Healing Species. And she mm-hmm. takes dogs, rescue dogs, into schools and into facilities where there are 19-year-olds that are convicted felons. And um, and yeah. we've gone with Sonny into these, these uh, facilities. And God bless these boys, you know, and, and girls. And you know, they, they're victims too, just yep. like the dogs have been yep. victims. Yep. And what they learn from these dogs, just by the energy, just by their stories, you know, that my Sonny never, probably never lived in a house, um, ostracized by society, deemed a nuisance, just is shot at. Things they can relate to. Yeah, their lifestyle. And then here's Sonny now, a, a contributing member of society, coming in there, wagging his tail, mm-hmm. loving them telling them they're worth something, bringing them out of their shells. How do we do more of this? How do we bring this? We can learn more from dogs than they can ever learn from us. But how do we bring that into these facilities to give them even more of an opportunity to say, 
my next chapter is going to be a good one too. Or and our prisons. Or our prisons. Talk yeah. about yeah. opportunities yeah. for changing people's lives. Yeah. We can use dogs to change the world. I think we can do use dogs. We need about a million of you. Yeah. Well, so get out of the training okay. and start teaching. Okay. All right. Well, I'm open for ideas, guys. Yeah. Well, you've you've done wonders already. We're so well, thank grateful you. to you. It was a blessed day, the day that um, Jennifer Graves introduced us. Jennifer to Graves. You. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Forever be grateful. Well, and her. I feel like honestly, we're just getting started. Yes. We're just scratching the surface right. with a couple of little pilot yeah. programs, and I think there's a lot more that we're going to do. Uh, in the future as, as we kind of solidify this vision more and more. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll do it together because Absolutely. we all know that when we work together, we do so much more. Yes. I'm glad your instincts picked up because my instincts did too. It was like, <laughs> we're, we're working together. <laughs> yep, you know how Absolutely. you just know, you know? Yeah. Because it, it feels good. It feels, and it feels good. natural. And, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my, uh, or our, you know, kind of brainstorming and your brainstorming is going to land in the same place. Yeah. And then it's just about mapping out the, the roadmap to right. go from there. And yeah. we'll do that together. So mm-hmm. thank you for thank your you. time. Absolutely. Your it's time. my pleasure. And yeah. Houston Dog Ranch. Great place for thank your you. dog. Whether it's boarding, training, grooming. Uh, grooming. Yeah. We love it up there. It's, it's heaven for dogs. We have a great daycare program, too. We have three different kinds of daycare, depending on the behavior needs of the dogs. Mm-hmm. Really, and then we have a trainer that's right in the middle of it mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah, so if you have a dog that might not be ready to be in the midst, he, he can go and do his own thing. But I bet eventually he, he'll probably be a dog that can. can oh, be we'll be drawing pets. him into the yeah. action. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. more confident, more happy, better that's right. quality of life. Thank mm-hmm. you, Matt. Thank, Thank you, you for everything you do. Thank mm-hmm. you. All right.